if you would turn to Acts chapter 2, we've kind of been parking in there lately, I guess. And let's just go before the Lord with the word of prayer. Father, once again, as a church, we just ask you to visit us, Lord, and speak to us through your word. And if you just have your Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'll give me the words to speak that will minister life to these people and edification. And just ask you to open all of our hearts to receive it and to be willing to act on it. And that we can glorify you through acting on it. And we just do that in Jesus' name. So before we read my text again, you know, some years ago, there was a, a boat that it shipwrecked off the coast of northern part of South America. It was in distress. It was sending out this, these signals of distress that were going out. And another vessel came up, and the distress they were saying, I don't know if they sent it Morse code, how they did it, uh, or lights or whatever, but they said that they are dying for water. Like, we can't drink. And the ship sent it back then and said, told them, it says, then dip it up. Because they said, you're right on the mouth of the Amazon River. There's all the fresh water you want to drink. And these guys were dying of thirst because they thought they were surrounded by salt water. The point of that is that a lot of Christians today, they complain about a lack of power. They want more of God. And they don't realize that they're surrounded by an infinite supply. God's given us an infinite supply. All they have to do is Dip it up by faith. So God has made, we're going to talk tonight about, he's made the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That it will enable every believer to meet their spiritual thirst and then some. So the reason I'm preaching on this tonight, I've, I was told that there's several here, I won't say what ages, maybe several ages, that don't have the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to go through it and teach on that. And for those of us that have it, it should still be. Maybe we need to get refreshed on the scriptures because if we're going to share it with somebody else we, we meet, we'll be able to better go to them and explain it, explain to them what we believe in our experience. So we'll start in Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad... The multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own language or tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, in Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya under Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine." I want to kind of walk through this just a little bit here, beginning in verse 1. And we read there in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost 
was fully come. Now, Pentecost, all that is is a Greek word which means 50th. So it's the 50th day after the Passover festival or feast is when Pentecost takes place. And they called Pentecost the Feast of Weeks. So it was with the annual harvest, and it was at the beginning of the summer. The first fruits took place here. So it's one, they had three major feasts that they had to make Jews, male Jews, had to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for. Three major feasts, and this is one of them. It's in the middle. So you have Passover, you have Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So now this time of Pentecost was really a time of joy because this is when people expressed their thanks to God for the provisions that he had made for them. And also they would renew their commitment to him at this time. So like I said, it was a time of first fruits. And what we know here, since it's telling us the day of Pentecost, we know it was 50 days after Passover. So it tells us something. What it tells us is how long they were together praying. And so how do we know that? Because it says, after Jesus' passion, it said he showed himself to his disciples for how many days? Forty. That's what it says. Forty days he showed himself, and then he ascended up into heaven. So that leaves ten days. So that's ten days that they were with one accord praying in that upper room, seeking the Lord. Prayed and sought the Lord. And why did they do that? Well, look here in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. This is why they did what they did, assembled together. Verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them. They didn't, this wasn't he asked them to, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he didn't tell them it would just be 10 days. They didn't know. They just gathered together and they started waiting and praying. And it said they prayed with one accord. That's what we read at the second part of that verse 1 there. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, we read there, they were all with one accord in one place. And that Greek word there for one accord means with one mind, with one purpose, and with one impulse. And it's amazing. That word for one accord is used 11 times in the book of Acts. It's only used one other time in the New Testament, but it's used throughout the book of Acts that they did things in one accord. And so harmony in the book of Acts, things got done. God's spirit moved because the church was in one accord at that time because disharmony will quench God's spirit in individuals and in the church. You know, Psalm 13, which would have been a good one to use with fellowship on Sunday. I couldn't give them all, but it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. So you want that anointing to be on a church or on a group? It all happens when you're in one accord. And so let's just look at a few of them. I don't want to look at all 11 in the book of Acts, but we'll look at a few that are just right here at the beginning where it shows they were in one accord. If you look in, over in chapter 1, verse 14... It talked about the 120 being gathered together. In verse 14, it says, These all continued with 
one accord in prayer and supplication. And we just read in chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And we read Sunday in chapter 2, verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, that eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You'll turn over to chapter 4 and look in verse 24. It says there, so after they'd been beaten and sent back to the congregation in verse 23 and verse 24, it says, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice with one accord and went on and said a prayer. And that one accord was so significant there. When they were done with this prayer, the whole building shook. God is moving. And the last one we'll look at is just in, in chapter 5 and verse 12. It says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And what does it go on to say? And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And on and on it goes through the book of Acts about that they were in one accord and God is moving in their midst, in their midst and through them. So if we want to see God's spirit move in missions, from here, evangelism, and in unity as far as love to each other and ministering to each other, I think it's important that we have a unity of spirit based on truth. As they say, a unity of spirit, not a spirit of unity. There's a difference, <laughs> a big difference. So here they are. We're reading they are all with one accord in one place seeking God, and they're hungry and thirsty. And I believe they were probably spiritually and physically hungry. Now, it doesn't specifically say they were fasting here, but I could almost guarantee you they were. That's typically what people would do when they were seeking God for something important. That's what I think they were. It doesn't say. Can't get dogmatic on that. But I'll tell you one thing. They were thirsty for God's presence and power in their life. He says, you wait there for the Father. And Jesus told them, I don't want you going out and evangelizing. Without this power, they, they had the gospel message. But guess what? He wants them going out and preaching that gospel message in the power of the Spirit. So he tells them, you don't need to be going out witnessing yet. You need to wait for the promise. You need that anointing. And so, hey, these guys, they knew what Jesus had promised them. So if you'll put something there in Acts 2 and turn back to John 7, please. John 7. They remembered these words of Jesus, I'm sure. John 7, beginning in verse 37, it says this. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's speaking these words during that last feast. So I said there's three, Passover, Pentecost, and then this, this was the last feast where Jesus is standing up and speaking, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of the three feasts. Now this comes at the end of the fall. It's a celebration of all the ingathering of the crops. And it's also they would celebrate the protection that God had given their forefathers when they were wandering 
in the wilderness. So it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, or also it's known as the Feast of Booths, because that's what they lived in. And they would literally reconstruct those booths and live in them for seven days. And we have some Jewish guys at prison that they follow the Old Testament, and they literally make a booth that they'll, I don't know, I don't think they let them live in it, but they'll go in it, I guess, because it's right outside the chapel. So I just thought that was interesting. But what the Jews added here, what we have, in, then it says here, Jesus on the last day of the feast, later, in later times, the Jews added what was known as a water-pouring rite. And this was observed. This was going on at the time Jesus was here at the temple. So for seven days, the way this worked, they would take a golden bowl and they would go to the pool of Siloam. And I'm telling you, you wouldn't want to drink that water that's in there now because I've seen it. It looks nasty. But maybe it wasn't at this time. But they would go to the pool of Siloam and fill that golden pitcher up and the priest would lead a procession to it. They would sing psalms as they were going. And they would go to the base of the altar and pour that water out. They did that every day for seven days. So it's not clear if Jesus stood up and spoke on the eighth day when they were no longer doing that, but he is obviously making a reference back to that when he said what he said, what we're reading here in John 7. So for the Jews, this water point, right, it represented the Lord's provision of water for them in the desert and also the fact that he was going to pour out his spirit in the last days. I mean, they were looking forward to that. It's not like they were ignorant of the fact that God had promised an outpouring of his spirit in the last days. They knew that was a last day's prophecy. And I could give a lot of them, but I'm not going to burden you down with that. But listen, here's one they would have known. And so listen how God makes the pouring of water equivalent to the outpouring of his spirit in the latter days. This is Isaiah 44, 2-3. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jezron, whom I have chosen. He says, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offering. So right there, if you listen to that, they have linked the outpouring of water and the outpouring of the spirit. And that's a latter-day prophecy to the nation of Israel. They were looking for that. They knew that this coming Messiah was going to literally pour out God's Spirit upon them. And they were looking forward to that. They'll experience it. They still will. Believe me, they will. And so if you read Ezekiel 47, it talks in Ezekiel 47 prophetically about a river of life that is going to come out from the house or the temple it would be. And everywhere that river flows, it talks about it gives life. Life to fish, life to plants, and really what it is, when you read Revelation 22, which I'm going to read to you in a second, it's just basically the same thing that's spoken of of Revelation 22. is the same river that gives life that's spoken of in Ezekiel 47. And it's representative of the Holy Spirit, the life-giving Spirit. So listen to what we have here in Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure, this is what we're going to have when we make it to heaven. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, not like the pool of Siloam is today, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. 
and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. It's this river that's a river of life. On its banks are the trees of life that we'll eat from. In John 7, 38, what we just read, it's right there. What does it say? He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, that's us, folks. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of what kind of water? Living water. And so everywhere that that river of Ezekiel 47 and the river that's in Revelation 22, everywhere it flows, life is given. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we're reading about here in Acts 2, it gives life. Doesn't it? Now, we used to sing that song, I've got a river of life flowing out. I'm not singing anymore. I put my guitar up. But that's what it says, right? But what is that song telling us? It gives life to us. And it's given life to us. And it's flowing out and to give life to others. Isn't that why we received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Really, it's not just to speak in tongues. Now, that's important. It, it has got its purpose, too, to build ourselves up in the faith, to edify ourselves, to pray about things we don't know about. It's got a big purpose, right? And to say tongues isn't the evidence, you're robbing saints from the very purpose God has in giving them tongues, to build themselves up, to say they don't need tongues. Please. <laughs> I'm glad I got it. Needed a whole lot. We receive life, and it flows out to others. And listen, listen to this. We've heard this verse a million times. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And how did he anoint him? With the Holy Ghost and with power. We're saying this Holy Spirit gives life. And it said when he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And that same spirit, if you've received him, is in you the same way. And that's the spirit that Jesus is speaking of here in John 7, 39. Anyone that believes in him can have, have the spirit. It's a him. It's a person. It's not an it or a power. <laughs> you think about that. God himself living in us. I don't think anybody fully comprehends that. But that's what we have. The same spirit that anointed Jesus that we just heard about in Acts 10, 38, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, that same spirit, not a different one, the same spirit lives in us. That's what the Bible teaches. You say, well, that's Jesus. Jesus walked this earth trusting God as a man just like we did, totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other teaching I'd like to do sometime, and I will. But not tonight. But he walked as a man. He didn't walk on. He was God. He never was not God. But he laid aside and clothed himself with humanity. And to be our perfect sacrifice, he walked this earth as a, just like a man, just without sin. But he wasn't relying on his deity. He was relying on the Holy Spirit just like we have to. And that's why it says we can follow his example. Otherwise, those words are mocking us if we can't do that. And you got me way off my topic because I don't want to talk about that. We'll talk about it another time. 
So the Holy Spirit will do good, won't he, through us and minister life as it flows out of us in power. So the whole book of Acts, you think about when you read the whole book of Acts, right? It's God pouring his life into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit working through his people. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And remember, they were always in one accord in the book of Acts. The, the not one accord came later. So we're back to Acts 2. You put something there and look on at verse 2. So here they are, what day of Pentecost, full to come, with one accord in one place. And then look at this in verse 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. I don't know. We, we probably got about 120 in here. Could you imagine we were sitting in here praying, and suddenly... Here's a sound in this room that's filling this entire room. And it says a mighty rushing. It's a violent wind. Now, it, it wasn't taking their hair pieces off or whatever they had on their head, right? It's so, but it's the sound of that. I mean, it would have probably been like, whoa. Could, could you imagine that? And then all of a sudden, just think of everybody in here right now. That we'll talk about this in a minute. But it says Tongues of fire sat on the head of each one of them. I mean, if I looked out and saw that now, I'd be like, man, I'm shutting my Bible. Time for revival. But could you, that's what they saw. Could you imagine that? I mean, really, you think about it, that's amazing. Amen. So there's mighty violent wind, but, you know, the word for spirit, breath, and wind, it's all the same. They don't, they don't have separate words in the Greek or the Hebrew for that. And so... This speaks of, what's this breath of God, this wind, this mighty wind speak of? In Ezekiel 37, we won't turn there, but if you know that, it's the vision of the dry bones, valley of the dry bones. You all are probably familiar with that, right? And it says on there that his breath, God's breath or spirit comes and descends on these bones. And it doesn't just say they're dry. It says they are very dry. No life, no moisture, so to speak. No life-giving water in them, right? It's lost it all. It's just totally dried out bones. And it says God's spirit speaks on those dead bones. And those bones of death, it talks about they begin to take on flesh. And it becomes alive. It becomes a living being. Alive like it's supposed to be from the spirit of God breathing on it. These dead bones. And at the end of that, so verse 9 writes, and that spirit breath comes from the four, it says, come from the four winds, Ezekiel prophesied, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live and come to life. And, it, and they do. And at, at the end of that, in verse 14, God says this, he's brought them alive, but he adds this on, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. That's a different kind of life having the indwelling spirit. So what we have here in Acts, though, we have an event, just like Ezekiel says, those four winds coming from the four corners of the earth. We have an event here that is going to affect the four corners of the earth, don't we, in Acts chapter 2? <laughs> we do. So there were Jews, we read, and proselytes from every, just about every known corner of the world at that time. And it says that the through that, the prophecy is that the Holy Spirit, because of that, he's going to send these people out. They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That breath is going out to the four corners of the earth, isn't it? In a violent way. That's what all this imagery is all about. 
going to shake the earth up in a violent way. And that's why it did happen, didn't it? Because in Acts 17, 6, the complaint about the apostles is these men have turned the world upside down. That's the complaint against Paul in Thessalonica. Or the NIV translates as these men who have caused trouble all over the world. All I'm asking is, were they really causing trouble? Well, it was trouble for some. <laughs> you know, the Jews under the law, the people that wanted to make their idols and sell them because the people weren't buying them anymore. And it was probably trouble for Nero and probably Herod because he got ate by worms messing with him. So, yeah, it's trouble for some people. But what about the others, this spirit of life going through? It might be trouble for the world, but it's life for the rest of them, isn't it? I don't think it's trouble. The healings, deliverance from demons. What about the Philippian jail? Would he call it trouble? I don't think so. I think he'd say it was a blessing. Or what about when they go to Samaria and preach the gospel and healings take place, which we'll read in a little bit, and deliverance takes place, demons being cast out. You think it was trouble for the city of Samaria? Because you know what it said about the city of Samaria? It didn't say it was trouble for them. It said the whole city was filled with joy. So I'd say the trouble's limited. But the Holy Spirit, that's, it's either going to be trouble or joy, I guess, if he's really manifesting. <laughs> it's the way that works. So we move on to verse 3 here. So after the sound of wind, look what happens. It says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now, fire, many times in the Bible, Old and New Testament, what does fire represent? Judgment, doesn't it? But I don't think that's what this is talking about here. This is not speaking about a time of judgment that this fire is appearing on top of these disciples' heads. I think this fire here is speaking about God's presence, his holy presence, though. That's why it's fire. It's his holy presence. The holy presence that appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. That fiery pillar that was God's presence that led Israel in the desert at night when they traveled. That wasn't judgment. That was God's blessing leading them because they traveled by day and they traveled by night. And when they traveled by night, they had that presence of God in that pillar of fire that they followed. And they also had the presence of God that when they rested, it said at night they rested and that fire rested on top of that tabernacle. Exodus 40. And those three things, let me settle down. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us, doesn't it? Those three things. He abides with us forever. We have his presence, right? He leads and guides us just like that fiery pillar led and guide them, right? And he lets us know that he is with us by his presence, doesn't he? He does. That's what he did for them, and I think that's what the fire represents that he'll do for us. So the Holy Spirit, before he fills them, he makes his entrance as wind and fire, doesn't he? And it's to symbolize the life. That wind symbolizes the life and breath of God. And that fire represents the holy, divine presence that it's not going to be an external manifestation. That's the only time you see this, isn't it? Because the rest of the time, it's indwelling. It's an outward symbolism of what's going on inside when the Holy Spirit enters a person. And so when that happens, when a person indwells a person, what happens? Look in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So the divine infilling of the third person of the Trinity caused the 120 to do what? They're speaking supernaturally in languages they had never learned. And if you go through verses 5 to 11, I'm not, we'll not go through that again. Like I said, those nations listed, they're most of the known world. Jews and proselytes from all over the world. And what are these people hearing? They're hearing men, they say, with a different accent. They, they didn't their accent, but with a different accent speak in the language of the countries where these people were all from. Look in verse 7. It says, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to, the, one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? You know, that'd be like, no offense by this, but that'd be like Johnny Stewart going up north with me and hanging around some of my good old Ohio buddies and talking with them for a while, and all of a sudden he starts speaking fluent German. They'd be like, that guy's speaking fluent German? <laughs> wow! I mean, that's what they're saying. These guys are Galileans. They, they got an accent, and now all of a sudden they're speaking our languages fluently. And Johnny could do it. <laughs> that's what it was going on. They're like, these guys, we know where they're from. And all of a sudden, man, they're speaking, you know, Parthian. I mean, how are they doing that? It's amazing. By the Spirit of God. And they said, they go on to say, well, what does this mean? Look in verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? I'll tell you what it means. I think what happened was it says that they were in an upper room. They were in a house somewhere, and they end up in the temple. That's where Peter ends up speaking. I think they received the baptism. It doesn't say this. This is just what I think happened. They received that Holy Spirit in that upper room and began to make their way for their time of prayer to the temple. And they might have been just a little bit tipsy in the spirit. I don't know. But whatever it is, there's something that's making these people think they're drunk. And Peter's like, well, no, you know, it's just hadn't been enough time in the day for drinking. He, he deals with that pretty nicely. Like, no, 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 they, they couldn't have been drinking this early. They didn't get started already, if that's what you think they did. He says, no, what this is, is that. This is that. It's the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled. Now, I've been, when I went to class in the seminary, my teacher there tried to say it was fulfilled, all of it, on this day. And, uh, sir, I don't think it says it was fulfilled, because it doesn't. You read it carefully. It doesn't say it was even being fulfilled. He just says this is that which was spoken by Joel, because we know it wasn't fulfilled yet, wasn't. It's an ongoing fulfillment that started right then, because that is when the last days began. I mean, we're in the last days, but so were they, according to the New Testament. The last days just didn't start in 1980, 1960. Pick your date. We've been in the last days in the New Testament era. Now, we're getting closer to the end, obviously, right? We can see the signs of the times. So we know we're getting closer to the fulfillment of everything, and the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled very soon. He quotes that prophecy of Joel, and let's, let's read it. It says, but this is that. This is what this is, this speaking in these other languages. This is what it means. I'm going to unfold it for you, which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before 
that great and notable day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter goes on to tell him, he says, wait a minute, this, this outpouring that you're seeing here and this prophecy of Joel, this is not just for a select few. This is just not for the apostles. And this just isn't for the 120 that were in the, that upper room. But he tells them, he says, it's for you. You, the very ones that were the wicked ones, he tells them in their preaching, that have slain the Lord of glory, that God had to raise from the dead. It's for you and your children and everyone else that is afar off. And we see that in verses 38 and 39. They get convicted by his preaching. Men and brethren, what should we do? In verse 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that means that the baptism of the Holy Spirit from then on out was available to any person that had committed their lives and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that means if there is a believer in this room that has not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's promised for you, specifically right here. Your name's right in there if you want to put it there. The first question I believe that needs to be addressed is, do you receive the Holy Spirit automatically when you are regenerated, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, or afterwards? Because that's a stumbling block for some people because a lot of churches teach that you automatically receive the, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when you're quote-unquote saved or regenerated. And so if you would, turn to Acts chapter 8. And beginning in verse 5, Acts chapter 8, 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And like I said earlier, there was great joy in that city. And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were camp, come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that section we just read there, as I started to say, that is a very problematic text to theologians that hold to the doctrine, and there, most of them do, that when you're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit automatically. And they have big time troubles with this Acts chapter 8. 
Because here's the thing, John 3.16, we all know that, right? It clearly teaches that you're born again when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him has, not gonna get, has everlasting life or eternal life. You can't have eternal life and be lost, can you? I don't think so. So that's, that's the condition, isn't it? Have eternal life when you believe. And look in verse 5. What do we have here? Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and what did he do? He preached Christ unto them. He preached the gospel. And in verse 6, it says, The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. So the Holy Spirit opened their understanding, and they believed the gospel. And so as a result of all that, we have verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Let me ask you, do you think Philip didn't have the discernment that he would baptize unsaved, unregenerated people? I mean, the only people that are water baptized, in case you didn't know that, are people that are Christians. You don't baptize people that aren't Christians. Are we good on that? And so here, what we have at this point, when you get to verse 12, is you have believers that are baptized, don't you? He that believes and is baptized is saved. Isn't that what Mark 16 says? So they're saved at this point, aren't they? I got no problem. They're saved. So, you know, that group that comes into our chapel service, they want to say, you're not saved until you speak in tongues. Well, what would they do with this? Because these people are saved. So listen, no one's questioning anyone's salvation because you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've got a whole lot of people going to hell if that's the case, and it's not even biblical to say that. It's subsequent. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for believers, right? But according to most Baptists, Methodists, and Presbyterians, they already have the Holy Spirit. These people would have had the Holy Spirit because that's what these most of them believe that when they got saved and got water baptized, they have the Holy Spirit. They don't need anything else. Well, let me ask you, do these people have the Holy Spirit? You know, look in verses 16 and 17. Look what it says. Or verse 15, who, when they were come, Peter and John prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And look what it says in verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon None of them, not a single one of these people in Samaria, not one of them had the Holy Spirit. Not one. Isn't that what it says? That's right. yep. Only, it says, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were water baptized believers, but they had not one shred of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, in them. Uh-uh. It says, then they laid their hands on them, and that's when, look in verse 17, they laid their hands on them, and then they received the Holy Ghost. So let me ask you this. What about the apostles, the disciples that walked with the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry? Were they unregenerate men all the way up until the book of Acts 2? Is that what we believe? They were unregenerate, wicked men. Wicked sinners, that's who Jesus has walking to him, sending him, sending them out in ministry. And they're just waiting for this day of Pentecost comes so they can be born again. I mean, is that what we believe? Because it's one or the other. You're either saved or you're not saved. There's no in-between on that. There really isn't. But listen to this. John 6, 68. Simon Peter said, 
to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And listen to this. And we believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. Would everyone in here agree that's a saving confession? Yeah. I would think so. And then listen, listen to this, John 20. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Are we going to say Thomas wasn't saved? He had to do more believing? <laughs> Jesus said you have believed. He's saved, right? So both of these confessions I just gave to you, they both happened before the day of Pentecost. Saved people, disciples of Jesus Christ. They were all saved, all of them, except for Judas, the thief. He wasn't saved. But did they have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them? That's the question. And you're going to have people raise that question, and they're going to get mad because they get mad at me at prison when I say that. Then I'm telling them they don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm like, well, let me just show you what the Bible says. So you've got to be able to show somebody what the Bible says, don't you? All right, so let's turn back, if you would, please, to John 14 and see what Jesus told his disciples that were with him. In verses, beginning in verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him. And look what he says here at the end. He says, You know him, for he dwells with you. He's abiding with them. He didn't say they didn't have him at all, but he shall be where? In you. You know, that's the thing. Somebody tries to tell you, you know, you don't really have the Holy Spirit living in you. And you don't need to speak in tongues and have the baptism and all that. I'm saying, like a guy said one time, if I just got my lunch with me. And somebody comes up and they try to tell me, man, I'm telling you that's a bad lunch. You got bad mayonnaise on there. It's going to make you have food poisoning. And I might be listening to that because I had that happen to me one time. And they talk that to you before you eat your lunch. You might believe them. And you know what you might do? You might just get talked out of your lunch and throw it in the trash can, right? But if they wait until after you've eaten your lunch and you had some of your grandma's chicken in there and your grandma's pumpkin pie that my grandma would make and they're going to try to tell me that food's no good, I'd be like, it's too late. As Al, as Al Purnell would say, it's good. And you can't tell me what I got, you know? So once you experience this, I'm telling you people that don't have the baptism, the, we, the ones that have it, We've got it, and we know what it's like. And the experience, too late, can't talk us out of it. And you just need to get the same experience in you. And so the Holy Spirit may be with you, but you want him in you, like your lunch. And you'll know how good it is. And so we've already quoted, we've already read John 7, 38 and 39. He said that those that believe in him should receive that Holy Spirit. It's a future tense there, right? That's, what he, that's the one we read back in John 7, 37 to 39. We're not going to turn back there. So we're covering these places in Acts where the baptism's given and the evidence is tongues. So, but I also want to see, here's some believers. If you'll turn to Acts 19, Paul comes across. They're believers. They're disciples. He never tells them that they weren't. He never tells them that they need to repent. And look in Acts 19. So... So you should have memorized and know and be able to talk to somebody you meet on the streets or wherever at work that you have Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. Those are all the places in the book of Acts 
where the Holy Spirit's mentioned. No, Luke 11, where it's promised. Mark 16, you should know all those verses. You should have known all those verses for years, not just because somebody's a preacher. That just ought to be something you ought to know. But in Acts 19, it says this, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Because it's a big deal. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Well, unto them, what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. And then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, well, then they were properly baptized in the name of Jesus. And then afterwards, these baptized believers, it says, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, what happened? The Holy Ghost came on them, and what did they do? They spake with tongues and prophesied. That was the evidence, wasn't it? They spake with tongues. It's always the evidence. We know that, right? So that brings me to the next question. Is tongues always the scriptural evidence? So we, like I said, we've already looked at Acts 2, and that obviously was the evidence there, right? They spake with tongues then. In Acts 19, we just read it, they spoke with tongues. And do you know this Acts 19? This was 25 years after the day of Pentecost happened. So 25 years later, people that receive the Holy Spirit are still speaking in tongues as the evidence. And I would say over 2,000 years later, people that speak in tongues, that's the evidence. <laughs> I'm no longer a good Baptist. Never was. Never was a Baptist ever. So in Acts 8, you know, you've heard it said that when Simon the sorcerer, it doesn't say there specifically they spoke in tongues, but it said Simon the sorcerer saw something that they were doing that made him say, man, I'll give you money if you'll just give me the power that when I lay hands on some, somebody, they can do what they did. Well, he had just, they just witnessed miracles and healings. I mean, man, so what's he seeing? He's seeing these people speaking with tongues. I mean, even commentators <laughs> that don't agree that tongues are the evidence will say almost all commentators will say that that is likely tongues that he saw. Nobody really argues that point. So the only one, just bear with me, I know we're turning to some scriptures now, but the only one we haven't looked at that I told you you should know is Acts chapter 10. So let's, if you would, just turn back there. So we're, we're answering the question right now is, and we're about through, is tongues the evidence? To me, it clearly is. And so here we have where Peter goes and preaches to Cornelius, and it's even... Some people even believe, and I'm not sure I don't, that Cornelius was already a believer. He'd already heard the gospel, and they're sharing this with him, and he's receiving the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't get dogmatic on that, but beginning in verse 44, look what it says. We're picking up at the end of Peter's sermon that he spake to Cornelius' household, and it says, verse 44, Acts 10, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Holy Ghost was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And how did they know it? For, verse 46, here's how they knew it. They heard them speak with tongues. That's how they knew they had the same gift. And magnify God, and then they answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as he? And he commanded them to be baptized 
in the name of the Lord. And so look over, this is interesting, when you look over the next chapter in chapter 11, Peter's relating this whole event. He goes back and tells the people of Jerusalem, and he's telling them about what happened, verse 14. He said, uh, they called for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy household shall be saved. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, Peter said, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Tongues is the evidence. I mean, what other evidence is there? That's the universal sign we see throughout the book of Acts. And some people want to say, Well, you can't make doctrine out of the book of Acts. I don't know why you can't. What's the purpose of the book of Acts then? Yeah. Amen. To say Luke wasn't a theologian is kind of an insult, I think, to the Holy Spirit and to Luke. I think you can get doctrine. In Mark 16, they don't even debate this one because almost all evangelicals will say Mark 16 was not in the original Greek. Now, let me just tell you, I had to do a study in my Greek class using all their little principles on how you decide whether something should or should not be in the New Testament. I used their own principles doing it. And I'm saying I'm convinced it should be in the New Testament. I'm like, I, you guys are just not even honest with the way you're using your own principles to determine what should and shouldn't be in the Bible. It passed all the tests as far as I could tell. And so Mark 16 says this, These signs shall follow those that believe. And the, one of the first ones is what? They shall speak with new tongues. Well, I can understand why they might want to get that out of there. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So is it important? You think speaking in tongues, some people that don't have the Holy Spirit that are here tonight, do you think it's important? You know, well, when the, when the apostles in Samaria and even Paul, when he meets the people in Ephesus in, in Acts 19, what's the first thing they ask him? When they hear they don't have the baptism, they get John down there and Peter quick to pray for him, don't they? Because, listen, you need that power to live this Sermon on the Mount, this Christian life. Almost impossible without it to live it victoriously. First thing Paul asked him, have you received the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus died for, Amen. that we could have that power. That's my next point. He died so we could walk. Us, you and me, could walk as temples of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he said in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus said. It is expedient. He's saying it is to your advantage. That's what that word expedient means. It is expedient for you that I go away. What's the only way he's going to go away? He has to die. He's saying, it's to your advantage that I die and go to my Father. He has to do that so we can have the Holy Spirit. He says, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, he said, I will send him unto you. And this is just another aside. We pray to the Father, but do you know it's Jesus that pours the Holy Spirit out on us when we receive it? It's Him. Given to Him by the Father that He pours out on us, our Lord and Savior. The one that died, 
If you're saved in here, but without the Holy Spirit, the one that died that, so you could have eternal life is the same one that died so you could have the Holy Spirit in your life. And so how could that not be important if you love the Lord? It was important to him, important enough for him to die. And the other reason it's important is the Holy Spirit is our power, is he not, for witnessing and missions. In Acts 1.8, Jesus told him, he says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So we have a responsibility. We're here in Samaria. This is Shelbyville. So it was Jerusalem and Samaria, and it kept spreading out. But their responsibility, he didn't say leave Jerusalem alone, did he? You got a hometown responsibility. So all of us are here. We all need to be looking for opportunities to witness, right? And we need that empowering of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that effectively. And so don't we, though, as we go out, don't we want our missions to look like Philip the Evangelist, who we read about in Acts 8? Let me read it to you again. The people with one accord in Samaria gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed, and there was great joy in that city. That's a mission city with joy. I mean, that is missions. Now, we can't, obviously, we can't do it ourselves, can we? And that's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I just say, all of us, and whatever our outreach is, we need to make this our goal. Why does it have to just be in this book and stay there? We've got the same Holy Spirit. I mean, we've got to press in for those things now, right? And see God do a work. We, we have the needs here and we have the needs elsewhere. So is it important? I'd ask the question, is it important? He's called the comforter. Is it important to have the divine comforter with you if you're going through a hard time? Believe me, it is. You're going through grief, loneliness. You're getting persecuted. You're just having any kind of trouble. You don't think it's important to have the divine comforter there? That's how God gives us comfort, through praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit. Supernaturally, He'll be with you. He can relieve you of all that anxiety. He can do that. It's not important. Or to have the Spirit of truth, Jesus said, when He comes, He'll be the Spirit of truth, lead and guide you into all truth. The one by whom we receive the gifts of the Spirit that are in 1 Corinthians 12. Are they in this church here if we're Spirit-filled? I mean, they should be, shouldn't they? Potentially they are, aren't they? They really are. Do we need them? Do we need the gifts of the Spirit tonight with things in our church right now? Honestly, I'm saying, do, do we? I mean, do we need somebody that God can anoint to have the gifts of healings? Healings, plural. I knew a brother that I roomed with back when I first got saved, and he had a gift that he could lay hands on anybody with a bad back that he witnessed to or whatever, and they were instantly, almost instantly, within a day or two, healed. I mean, it was a gift he had that God gave him, and the gifts is healing, plural. In 1 Corinthians 12, do we not need miracles in this church? I'm not just saying that we do. Or the gift of faith or words of wisdom? or a word of knowledge to give somebody comfort, or if somebody happens to be here that's not saved, that God can use that to convict them. That's what was going on in the church at Corinth. Do we not have those same needs? You know, people haven't changed. 
Literally, people haven't changed. All that's changed is technology. But you think about it, we all, if we don't have water and food and air, we die. That's never changed. People are still wicked sinners that need to be saved. That there's sicknesses that the medical profession could do nothing with that the Spirit of God can. So we, we can't pull it out of our pocket, but maybe we need to do a little seeking the Lord to see these things happen. And I'll tell you, we got potential here that's not in a lot of other churches because I have been to a lot of Baptist churches and I have never seen once a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 operate. Not once. But I have seen gifts operate here through the years. And I'm saying, we've got the potential because we won't shut you down if you do. And I'm not criticizing the Baptist. Believe me, I'm not. I got some friends that are Baptist brothers. One thing's down, how do you receive? Someone's here that doesn't have it. But first of all, I would ask you this question that we began with, are you thirsty? Because really the Holy Spirit is only promised to the thirsty. And Jesus said in John 7, we read, if any man thirst. That's the first condition. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. So I would ask you, do you feel a lack of? of spiritual power in your life if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or is sin dominating your life and you feel helpless? Or do you have a desire to have a more intimate walk with the Lord, to hear His voice, feel His presence, and just to know His leading in a way that you've never known before? Or just do you desire to have the living God dwell in you? You recognize that lack. And if that's the case with you, then you just have to believe the promises. Well, we've already quoted Acts 2.39, right? This promise is unto you and your children and to as many as are as afar off, to as many as the Lord our God would call. And if he's called you to salvation, you're a candidate. Or listen to Luke 11.13, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So the Lord Jesus Christ died so that you could be spirit-filled and your heavenly Father wants to bestow that on you as his child. The person of the Holy Spirit. So you're thirsty and you see the promise. Then we all know how faith works, right? Then you ask and receive by faith. You ask the Father for the Holy Spirit and when you do that, what does faith say? It doesn't, it doesn't believe it has, he has the Holy Spirit because you feel something, right? That's not faith. You just believe that when you ask, you have it. You have the Holy Spirit, not an it. You have Him in you. And so we know from what we've read that people that are filled with the Spirit can then speak in tongues. Because that's what they did. As the Spirit gives them utterance. You believe you're filled because you act and you have to act your faith. We've been taught that, haven't we? So you speak, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words as you do. So let me just end with this. The night I got saved, and I heard people speak in tongues, but I, that was not my goal. My goal was, I, my sister, I called her up. I said, I want to go over to the pastor's house. I want to get delivered out of these cigarettes because my brother-in-law did. I'll get delivered of that spirit. I knew that could happen. And I just want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was, it was later at night 
And I was pretty tired. I'd had a rough day because I got the devil pulling me one way and the Lord pulling me the other. So I get over there and, and make a long story short. So he prays for my salvation, prayed for deliverance of my cigarettes, got rid of those things. And then he starts talking to me about what you need now is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay. And he says, and here's what caught my attention. He says, the reason you need it is it will give you power over sin. Well, see, I had tried to walk the Christian life on my own as a Catholic and given my heart to the Lord, and I just felt like I was powerless. And I kept giving in to sin. I'd drink again, do whatever. I just felt like I had no power over sin. And finally, I was 18 or whatever, 19, I just said, this just isn't for me. I know I'm going to go to hell, but I just can't do it. And I gave up, and I went right back into the world as bad as I ever had. And God just, I was miserable for two years. Had a vision one night of hell that I was headed there. And I mean, I couldn't get away from that. And finally, I'm just like, Lord, I, I need you. And I prayed to the Lord Jesus. I said, I give you myself. I'll do whatever you ask me to do is what I prayed to him. One day at work at a desk, I, I said, I don't care what it is. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I give you my life because I need your blood to cleanse me. I need you to change me. I need to be forgiven. I'm going to hell. And that's when I called that pastor up and whatever. So he's getting back to my thing. He's telling me about here's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It'll give you power over sin. Boy, my ears are perking up on that. And so he goes through all those verses. I don't even know how, how much I understood, but here I am. It's my sister here, this pastor, and his wife, and me. And I was so full of the fear of man. He says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, and then you'll begin to speak in tongues. Well, I figured out enough at that point, meaning I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that in front of these three people. I'm thinking, I'm not doing that in front of these three people. That's what I'm telling myself. And it's like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you told me you'd do anything I asked you to do. And I'd seen it. I mean, I could see it was there. I was just wanting to go do it by myself somewhere in a closet. He's like, that wasn't going to happen. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to step out and believe I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and it'll be there. All right, Lord, I'll be willing to do it in front of these three people. It's totally against my nature. But he prayed for me, and I spoke in tongues. Praise God. It works. It, and if you're here tonight, and it'll, ha it'll work for you too. Believe me, it will. And so we get done with that, and you're saying, well, how did you feel? I'm going to tell you how I felt. I had a headache. I had a bad day. All I wanted to do, I knew I did never doubted that I'd received the Holy Spirit. I really didn't. I just wanted to go home and go to bed. It had been a rough day for me that day. I was glad I had it. I never, I've never doubted since then. I haven't. And, but I'll tell you what, I got up the next day and woke up and started praying in tongues. And I'm telling you, for me, that was my time when the glory fell. And a lot of times after that, <laughs> we'd go to those charismatic meetings like we have here, and it'd be double. <laughs> so that's my experience, and that's what will happen. It's, it's not a matter you've got to feel anything. you just got to believe what God says, that when you're prayed for or you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he says he's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a demonic spirit. He will give you the Holy Spirit because he loves you. And so when he does that, you just act your faith, and out it'll come. you got to just determine you'll let and yield. Let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Don't think about what you're going to say. And we've been taught you can't speak English. A lot of people want to do that. Well, it's another language. So just let the Lord speak through you. And it works, doesn't it, Sister Bonnie? It works. Amen? Amen. Listen, if anyone's here, I'll just say, if anyone's here tonight and wants to receive prayer, I'd be glad to pray for you. I actually brought a couple tracks I take in the prison. If you didn't take good notes to lay out all the scriptures, I'd be glad to give that to you. There's probably other brothers and sisters here that would be able to lead you through and pray for you. Or if you're shy and you want to call me up and do it another time, that's fine.
Because Brother Greg there, I tried to explain to him one night about getting the Holy Spirit. He said, man, you don't make any sense to me. I gave him a book and he got it on his own. Nothing wrong with that, right? So everybody's experience is different. Except you'll speak in tongues. <laughs> right? Amen. Now let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the precious Holy Spirit you've given us, Lord, and this power that you've given us over sin and over the devil, and that we can just walk a victorious Christian walk through the power of, the, of God, of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And I just ask you, Lord, even for us that have the Holy Spirit, you'll just reveal to us more and more the responsibility we have to take advantage of who lives within us. And I just ask you'll press it on all of our hearts to pray and fast and to see your spirit manifested in our lives to help others and to help ourselves. And we just thank you, Lord, that you love us and you'll do that for us. And we just believe, Lord, as a church that you will begin to manifest those gifts that you will by your Holy Spirit to meet the needs that we have here and to those outside this body. And I just ask you'll bless any of the ministries that go out of here, Lord, with the fullness of your Holy Spirit and that they can speak the word with your anointing and that they can see signs following, Lord. We just ask that you'll grant us that and that your hand will be extended through us to others that have need. And we just thank you for doing that for us and for being with us tonight. And we just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Lord bless you and you all have a good week in Jesus' name.